welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Grace Hill Church, good morning. It is so good to see you. As you can tell, people usually do this for me. So, um, I'm, I'm still learning, as we all are, right? It is so good to be with you. And um, as you can tell, my husband likes to preach. Trying. No, he, he, he loves to preach any chance he can get. And so I knew this morning when I woke up that during offering or during the end of worship, he's going to start preaching a sermon. And I thought, you better not preach what I'm preaching. That's what I'm saying, because we're not doing that. But it's so good to be with you this morning. What an honor and a privilege it is to preach the word of God to you today. I have been so excited and filled with anticipation as I was studying this week. And um, we've been in this series that Ryan kicked us off in last week, Unto Us. And a few weeks ago, uh, when Ryan and I were talking, we always talk way ahead on what series we feel like God has taken us into. Um, We definitely are a team in this, and I so appreciate my husband for allowing me to be who God has created me to be. Um, If you have a husband like that, it's awesome, right? So good. And so uh, we were talking a few weeks ago about what we felt like God was wanting us to say during this Christmas series, and I began to get so excited as we started diving into Isaiah 9, and as we started reading the scripture, and I was filled with joy, uh, because the scriptures always have a way of digging deep into your heart and nestling into the crevices of your heart, and so it began to get deep in our hearts as God began to bring us into a focused view of what Christmas really means. And so uh, my prayer for you, as I pray for you often over these last couple of weeks, is that God would begin to reveal to you what this season actually means, and that it would get deep in your heart, and as we study this scripture, that you truly would begin to focus your mind and your heart on what it means and what God has done. Now, if, if you have been coming on uh, Sunday mornings, you have heard uh, my husband mention that I love Christmas. And I don't know about you, but it's my favorite time of the year. And so I love everything about it. I love the songs. I can't get enough of the songs. We are constantly saying, Alexa, play Christmas music in our house. And we, my husband is real techie. If you don't know that about him, he's all about that. So he's like determined that we're going to have the smart house. And so little by little, he buys this and buys that. And so we got Alexa everywhere. And so when I tell Alexa to play, I say, play on the everywhere. And it literally fills our home. And so I love that. Uh, I love the decorations. I love the colors. Um, I love the lights. And so on Friday night, um, my husband and I and our boys and my sister and her husband and my nephew, we all drove to Highland Park. And we drove, who's been there? The lights. Oh my word. It's actually been a tradition for a while for us, but now we live so close. It's like, this is a gift in of itself. And so uh, we drove over to Highland Park and we drove through the lights. And every time we do that, I feel this childlikeness come over me. Like, um, I have to say, this is kind of embarrassing, but talking about childlikeness, it's like this. We went to Disney World with our kids one time and Cinderella started coming down in the carriage. And I don't know what came over me, but I was like jumping with the little girls. I'm like, it's Cinderella. A childlikeness. Well, that's what kind of happens in my heart when I see Christmas lights. And when our oldest son, Stratton, who's nine, uh, was about two years old, we would take him to see the lights. And when he would see them, his eyes would get really big, and he would let out a huge, wow. And so, of course, as a parent, you're like, oh, everything you do is perfect. So we would prompt him to say this over and over, wow. So I love that. Uh, I love baking cookies for my kids, and we have this snowman cookie jar in our house, and weekly they check the cookie jar to see if there's something new in there, and um, I have to say there is something I hate about that, though, because I am constantly finding temptation, and the cookies are winning right now, and so um, I'm constantly like, I don't want to eat them, but I want to eat them, but I don't want to eat them, but oh my gosh, they're so good, and so I love everything about Christmas, and I have been known to start the uh, Christmas season a little too early in the eyes of my husband. And so uh, he truly, if he could, would start a campaign. And I've thought of this before. He would have T-shirts. He would have signs. And this is what it would say. Give Thanksgiving a chance. 
And so I can just imagine him with signs, shirts, our kids as his Cornish hens, going through the neighborhoods and canvassing, saying, give Thanksgiving a chance. Um, He's even yelled that in a store several times, actually, uh, in Hobby Lobby. He will scream it out, and it used to embarrass me, but it doesn't anymore because it's kind of a running joke. Um, But I love Christmas, and I love all that it has to offer. And as we look at the scripture in Isaiah 9, it's really important for us to realize what was going on at the time. Because here's the thing. Although Christmas is wonderful, although it's joyous, although it's wonderful, we can honestly agree that at times it can feel a little stressful. It can feel chaotic. Financially, for some of us, it can be straining. Um, and, And attached to some of that as well, some of us maybe have some painful memories that are attached to Christmas. And so maybe every season when it rolls around, you're fighting with this feeling of wanting to feel joy, but also working through some painful emotions. And so as we look at Isaiah 9, and as we look at Scripture, I really think it's important anytime you read Scripture, this is a personal conviction for me, I want to know what was going on in that moment when the writer was laboring over the words. And so when we're in Isaiah, you've got to understand that it was not joyous. It was not wonderful at that time. In fact, in the time of Isaiah, when he was writing these words, there was a lot of political tension. There was talks of war. There was war going on. There was a lot of fear that was being invoked in people's lives. And so when we read in Isaiah these powerful, uh, joyous words, we've got to understand that that Isaiah wasn't seeing that around him. In fact, he was living in darkness. And as, as you grab your Bible or your smartphone, if you're an old soul like me, I like to have a book in my hands. And so whether it's the Word of God or a novel, I want to flip the pages. It's like a wonderful experience for me. Um, so whatever you have, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 9. And we're going to camp out there today. We will start in verse 2, but then we'll land what, what's been our main scripture for this series in verse 6. But as we think of the darkness that was around Isaiah, I want you to look at verse 2 and what he wrote. Put yourself in his position and what was going on. And maybe you feel like that right now, how Isaiah felt with darkness around him. And look what he wrote in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And now go down to verse 6, and this is where we'll land. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today as we study this scripture, I want you to open the doors of your heart. Open them wide. And whether you're, you're living in a joyous time or maybe you're living in a time where it seems pretty dark around you, I'm here to declare to you, a light has come. A light is dawning upon your life today. And we have the opportunity to receive that light. And although there's so many different names that God gives Jesus in this moment, we're going to hone in on one today, and that is this. He is our wonderful counselor. So as we do that, let's pray and just invite God here. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that it continues to penetrate our hearts, Lord. We could read the same thing over and over, oh, but God, you bring fresh revelation. So God, I pray today as we dig deep into what it means to call you our wonderful counselor, that you would come and invade our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We surrender this time to you, and we say with all that is within us, God, have your way. Amen. You know, we as humans are wired to receive counsel. Uh, When we have a problem, when there's a situation going on, we run to someone that we trust, and we seek counsel. Uh, We as parents live our days as counselors. Uh, We redirect, we reaffirm, we encourage. And mom and dad, if you didn't realize it today, you are a counselor. You do that every single day. And sometimes our kids want to counsel us. Have you had this happen? 
Now, if you have a teenager, I guarantee you, you're, you're walking through that right now. And teenagers, I love you. I adore you. Ryan and I, are, are most of our ministry so far in the, in the beginning years, we're in youth ministry. And it literally is some of the most fond memories of my life. We have been to youth camp countless times. I adore you. But here's the thing. I was one of you at one time in my life. And I, too, tried my hand at counseling my parents. It did not work out well. And so heed my advice, just don't do it, okay? But uh, our kids try to counsel us, and I have a perfect example of this. The other day, I'm driving in my car. My two boys, nine, Stratton is nine, Boston is six. They're in the back of the car, and Boston, the six-year-old, he starts telling me, Mom, I have this toy, and I have seen the toy and it's broken, and I just need you to fix it. And at six years old, I'm still super mom, so I just milk that for all it's worth. And so he thinks I can fix it, but I had seen the toy, and I'm like, it is so damaged, baby. I tell him, I say, boss, it's so damaged, I really don't think that I can fix it. And all of a sudden, I hear a gasp in the back of the car, and my nine-year-old says, mom, I cannot believe you just said a bad word. Okay, so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, this is what I read in a study one time, that women's minds are like spaghetti and men's minds are like waffles. You compartmentalize everything. What's on your mind? Nothing. How? Seriously. So my mind is spaghetti, so it's going all over the place. Thinking, what did I say? What, do I, what did I say? He said, Mom, I cannot believe you said damaged. So I put it together that he has heard a word within a word. He therefore has thought that I have said a bad word. So I quickly tell him, Stratton, mommy did not say a bad word because here's what I know about my nine-year-old. Everything is black and white to him. So you better believe he would have come up to this church and found one of you and say, I need prayer for my mother. She's having a hard time taming her tongue. Like literally, (laughs) he would have done it. No doubt. That's how Stratton is. But I assured him that I had in fact not said a bad word. But he was trying to counsel me, right? And I quickly told him, I don't need it, but it's all right. But today, I want you to understand what Jesus is as our wonderful counselor. Here's the thing you got to know. God would never give his son a name he didn't deserve. We're not talking about a parent with rose-colored glasses here. This isn't flattery. This is truth. He is our wonderful counselor. So the big idea that kind of the beautiful bow that I want to wrap it up with today, I'm not ending, sorry, But at the end, this is kind of what I want you to walk away with. We can know Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We can know Jesus, if you want to write that down, as our wonderful counselor. But here's the thing. We have to understand, and if we are to understand, who Jesus is as our wonderful counselor, we must bring ourselves to a state of awe and wonder of who he is of who God is. We all have people in our lives that we highly esteem. I know for Ryan and I, it's our parents. So if there is a really big decision that's going on that we have to make in our lives, we always run to prayer, but then we always run to mom and dad on both sides to get wisdom because we've seen they're a little farther down the road. They've they've been there. We've seen the faithfulness of God in their lives. And so um, maybe for you, it's a trusted friend or a, a relative. You know, even we as humans, people of fame cause us to esteem them, right? We see their achievements, we see what they accomplish, and then we put them on this pedestal. Uh, funny story, I remember when American Sniper was being filmed, and uh, the film is about a veteran named Chris Kyle that is from Midlothian, Texas, and if you didn't know, the last nine years of Ryan and I, our life was in Midlothian, Texas. Uh, small town USA. I mean, I knew everybody at Walmart. And so, um, Anyway, they they were filming this film, and when news got out that the Bradley Cooper was at the Dairy Queen, you better believe Facebook and Instagram went up in frenzy. I mean, it was laughable, and grown women were flocking to the Dairy Queen, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that they weren't just admiring his acting ability, I have to say, um, and I wasn't one of them. I wasn't, but... I'm not naive enough to believe that if someone on my list were to show up at the Dairy Queen, I'd be acting a fool, you know? Oh, I gotta go. (laughs) But we esteem these people. We put them on a pedestal. Why? Because we're filled with amazement. 
We're filled with wonder and awe at who they are. And when you think of how wonderful Jesus is, it should bring you to a state of awe and wonder. The Messiah is wonderful. Hear me today. The Messiah is wonderful. The glory of who he is and what he has done for us should fill us with wonder. You can never really look at Jesus. You can never really look at him and be bored. He is wonderful. And when we read things like John 3, 16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We should be filled with wonder because he is wonderful. When you think of the son of God coming to the earth in the most humble of ways, if you're a woman in this house and you have had a baby and you think of the conditions that he came in, itchy hay, Donkey and sheep, no good. Not good. That's funny. That's not good. And so, seriously, when you think of how he came in the most humble of ways, when you think that he could use his deity at any moment to stop the mockers, the scorners, to stop the pain of the cross, he is wonderful. He is wonderful. The one who spoke the universe into existence The one with his very breath, he placed the stars in the sky. He causes the sun to rise and to set. He puts breath in your lungs every single day. And to think that he knows you by name. To think that he knows the very number of hairs on your head. He is wonderful. And as we are filled with wonder, it should cause us to seek him as our wonderful counselor. We know who he is. We know what he has done. It should cause us to seek him as our wonderful counselor. So today, as we look at the scripture in Isaiah, I want us to stop and see what Isaiah meant when he called him the wonderful counselor. What does the wonderful counselor do? Today in your notes, this is the first point here. He reveals God to us. He reveals God to us. Jesus made the invisible God visible. He made the invisible God visible. When we look at at John chapter 14, we can see Jesus having this conversation with uh, his disciples, and and they are are asking him all these questions, and they kind of land, Philip does, at this one question where he says, reveal God to us, and that will be enough. And this is what Jesus says to him. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, listen to this. Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. Who is God? We see him. Jesus reveals it to us. Anyone who sees Jesus has seen the Father. A Father full of mercy. A Father full full of grace and truth. Truth full of humility and love. A Father that welcomes us into his family. So what did Jesus reveal about him? If if Jesus is the visible point for us to see the invisible God, what did he reveal about God? Just a few things here that I want you to jot down. He showed us humility and a smelly stable. I mentioned that briefly, but if you think about this, he could have come in any way. He could have come trumpets blaring, chariots going down, huge parade, people full of awe and wonder, and he chose a stable, because God values humility. He showed us obedience as he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And whenever I hear this story, I always have to think of, of the also that he was fasting. And if anybody's like me, when I'm really hungry, I kind of lean into hangry. Anybody? Hangriness, which is not a word, but I made it up. It comes over us, right? And yet Jesus was obedient to the Father, we, we see this all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to endure the cross and, and we see his humanity come forth and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says to the Father, if there's any other way, take it from me, please. Don't make me endure this. But then he says, not my will, 
but yours be done. Obedience. He reveals that to us. He showed us his power through the miracles he performed. So many miracles because he is a powerful God. And in the Hebrew, the word wonderful also can be translated as miraculous. He is a miraculous God. And we see and we read so many miracles, but also there are so many that we don't even have recorded in the Bible. We read in John 21, 25, and it says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were to be written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough books to, or, or places to contain the amount of books. So many miracles because he is a miraculous God. And Jesus revealed God's power through the miracles he performed. He showed compassion and how compassionate God is. We see Jesus reveal this as he stops to heal a woman with an issue of blood. In that story, we read that Jesus is pressing through crowds of people, people touching him all over, I mean, bumping into him. And yet it says that when the woman touched the edge of his clothing, he stopped and he paused and he had compassion on the one. He reveals God's compassion. He reveals God's love and that he is no respecter of persons. As he goes to Samaria and he stops at a well and he ministers to a Samaritan woman. Now, this is something you've got to understand about Jesus' day. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They did not go near each other because Jews viewed Samaritans. They literally called them dogs. Because Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. So they did not associate with them. And so Jews, even though going through Samaria would have been a quicker route, they would go around and take the long way just so they would not have to be near them. But the word of God says verbatim that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go to Samaria? Because he had to show and reveal God's love and that he is no respecter of persons as he sat at a well with the Samaritan woman and he told her of everlasting life. He revealed his love. And greatest of all, he revealed his grace and his mercy as he died on a cross for you and for me. His grace, his mercy, he reveals all these things about who God is. Second in your notes, the wonderful counselor, he shows us how to have a relationship with God. Now, I think you can agree with me that relationships take work. They actually take work. And in a day and age of social media that we are surrounded by, real relationships sometimes can be really hard to come by. And we think we know a person, but in all actuality, we don't. We don't know them. Um, I know I have been in public before at a store and seen someone. I don't really know them. They don't really know me. But we're friends on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And I will think to myself, I know what they did today. And then I feel like a creeper. And I know you've all done it too. So we're a room full of creepers right now. But uh, that's not a real relationship. I don't really know them. They don't really know me. And what we get are people's highlight reels. We see the toddler. He's sitting in the Target cart in the beautiful, majestic Christmas section. I love Christmas. It's a Christmas section of Target, the beautifully edited photo, and he's smiling. And we see that on Instagram because it's all the warm and fuzzies. And we're like, why isn't my kid that happy at Target? But what we didn't know is that same toddler grabbed a glass ornament and chucked it across the room. In the next moment, he's throwing a tantrum. We didn't know all that because we got the highlight reel. Real relationships take work. And I cannot think of a better example than marriage. Can you imagine, and humor me for a moment because this sounds ridiculous, but just roll with me. Can you imagine if Ryan and I, for the last 11 years of our marriage, never said more than a hello and a goodbye for 11 years? Would I ever really know him? No. Would my love ever really deepen for him? Absolutely not. Could I trust him? No. Because real relationships takes real investment, takes real time to grow. 
We have to invest in relationship. And in the same way, think about this. In the same way, how can we have relationship with the Father without any investment on our part? We can't fully expect to receive him as our wonderful counselor without knowing him or spending time with him. We can't live our lives with a simple prayer over a meal and only hearing scripture within the four walls of this building. We can't expect to really receive him as our wonderful counselor. And we have to understand that God doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to run to him. The wonderful counselor wants us to come. Like it says in Matthew 11, come to me. He's telling you, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love taking that verse and and changing that last word and saying, come to me, all ye who are heavy burdened, and I will give you peace. I will give you joy. I will give you hope. I will build your faith. He is telling you, Run to me, because you have to know this. You don't have to be perfect to come to the Father. Newsflash, we can't fix ourselves. I can't fix me, you can't fix you, I know I can't fix you. Jesus can. And so he's asking us to come to him. And that's why we need the wonderful counselor. We need him, we can't fix ourselves. The amazing uh, thing is that God isn't an angry counselor. You know, he's not an angry counselor. The Bible calls him a wonderful counselor for a reason. And I think too many times that conviction of the Holy Spirit has gotten a bad rap because maybe our view has been wrong about conviction. This is how I view conviction. When my earthly father my dad, Joe Childs, hugs me. He really hugs me. And when his tight and strong arms embrace me, I feel like he's speaking a thousand words of love and acceptance to my heart. And let me tell you today, that is what conviction is. A heavenly father coming along, wrapping his arms around you and saying, I love you so much. I love you so much that I want you to be better. I love you so much that I see your potential. I love you so much that I don't want you to walk down that path. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is that God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. In this day and age, if we go to a counselor, we have to physically drive ourselves to a counselor. And man, I am a proponent for godly counselors. I love them. Many of our friends are godly counselors, and I believe in that. But we have to drive to them. And God sent the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, and he dwells within you. You can access him at any time. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And his counsel leads us into deeper relationship. His counsel draws you into deeper relationship. I love how Jesus himself shows us in the Bible the importance of time spent with God. We can read in uh, Luke chapter 5, Jesus had uh, been ministering to all these people, so many people that it says he actually had to get in a boat to minister from because the crowds were so big. And it says that the crowds everywhere he went, they followed him and they followed him. And I thought about this. In his humanity, he could have easily fallen into the thought process of, I'm a big deal. People are following me. People want to know what I have to say. I mean, I, I'm doing this thing. But what does it say that he does? We read it clearly in Luke 5, 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why? Because he knew where his source was. He knew where his peace was given. He knew he needed time spent with the Father. And in the same way, we must spend time with Father God. We must spend time in investment in relationships through prayer, through reading his word. You want to know who the Father is? Read his word. Because words reveal invisible thoughts. 
when we dig into his word, when we learn his character, when we learn his ways, we are learning the Father and we are digging into a deeper relationship with him. And I can tell you with full confidence that he wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with you. He longs for relationship with you. The third thing in your notes today, the wonderful counselor shows us how to live for God. He shows us how to live for God. Jesus was the perfect example of how to live. We know that. Perfect, sinless, sinless man. But we have to remember this. He was fully God, yes, but he was fully man. So he felt pain. He felt temptation. And uh, I truly believe, and I'm so thankful for this, that, that God sent Jesus to be fully God and fully man because he wanted Jesus to be relatable. He wanted Jesus to be relatable. I mean, think about this. As a child, he had to be potty trained. Have you thought about that? Because I have. And any parent in this room can completely agree that potty training is a struggle. And I know in our house, we were not above bribery when it came to that. I mean, it was like, oh my word, I will give you a king size Reese's if you do it. I promise, I promise. And when, when Ryan and I would first go out into public with the diaper out of the equation, we literally would look at each other like, you're a risk taker. We are living on the edge right now. <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal. But we, listen, you, you've got to wrap your mind around the human aspect. He was fully man. So every single thing that you have faced, temptation that has come your way, Jesus is relatable. He can relate with you. He came to earth to relate with you. We have to understand this. So therefore, the way he lived, the way that he responds to adversity, the way he responds to difficult situation, the way he responds to difficult people, anybody sit in traffic every day, difficult people, right? The way he responds is how we should respond. And because of that, his life should counsel us. His life should guide us because his counsel is wonderful. It is wonderful. I love how children want to mimic their parents. And uh, you'll see pictures of kids in their parents' shoes. Maybe you've taken a picture like that. Or if you have little girls, they put on your mom or their mom's makeup and uh, it's always really funny what they come up with or the moms that let the girls do their makeup. Uh, we actually, we had a, we were foster parents and we had a little girl and we never let her do that. Should have done that. But um, yeah, we, we've seen all these things. Well, my dad is, always has been a pastor, a preacher. And so um, when I was little, I would go into my room and I would get my stuffed animals and um, I would have church because my dad would have church. And so um, I was the greeter. I was the usher, I was the worship leader, and you better believe I was preaching. And so um, I would get my stuffed animals around and I would just have church and I'd be getting them to come to know Jesus as their savior because I wanted to be like dad. And so uh, my, uh, my boys are growing up into a family of golfers. Um, my dad is an incredible golfer. Um, I actually have asked him several times, Dad, if you didn't go into the ministry, do you think you could have gotten into the PGA? Of course he says no, but I literally, he's just that good. Um, hardly ever plays, but he'll pick up a club and shoot 72. So he's just incredible. Um, but a lot of my childhood memories are spent on a golf course. Uh, and so I remember when I upgraded to the cart driver, I thought I'd arrived. I really did. And so uh, I got a little cocky one day. Um, I think I was 10. And I'm driving on the cart path, and I go to take a really sharp turn way too fast, and I crashed into the bench. And uh, that's a story that my dad and I still laugh about today. But um, I was so proud because I wanted to be like my dad, you know, golfing and driving the cart and all that. But my boys are growing up in a family of golfers. And so my father-in-law golfs. My husband's grandfather golfs. My husband's an incredible golfer and was on the golf team in high school. So naturally, they want to be golfers. 
And so I think I have a picture if they're going to pull it up. I'm not sure. But I have a picture, as you can see. Of, uh, this is a, a picture. We have many different pictures like this. Um, my youngest that's right up at the top, we have one of him at one years old, and he's holding a blue plastic golf club. It's huge. And he's just super happy at the, at the driving range there. But um, when the weather gets nice, we spend a lot of time at the driving range. And if you were to go with us to the driving range, I would bet that you would see the same thing happen every single time. So we get there, Ryan's setting up, he's getting his golf clubs ready. My boys are setting up, getting the golf clubs ready. They get up there, they're doing their, you know, their stretches that dad does, swinging their arms and doing all this stuff, you know. They're, they're high class. And so um, they will get up there and they'll set up and start hitting the balls and it's not going well. They're not doing good. And so our oldest Stratton, he'll kind of step back, look over at dad. And he'll watch Ryan hit a ball 450 yards. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I couldn't even get it out. I'm like, I'm trying, babe. I'm trying. 300 yards. Okay. But in their mind, it's 1,000 yards, you know? And so they'll watch and they'll observe. Boston does too because Boston's always like, oh, man, that's Boston. And Stratton's like, I mean, totally different personalities. So... They'll go up and they'll watch them and they'll think, okay, okay, all right. Because boys are competitive, right? At least mine are. And they get this confidence over them. And so literally they'll think, Tiger Woods, I'm coming for you. So they will set up. First one swings and misses the ball completely. Sorry. Misses the ball completely. Second one hits it way right. And every single time this is what happens. Ryan will sit his club down. And he'll walk over to each boy and he'll remind them of their stance. He'll remind them of the importance of the grip. He might play around with different grips to see if one fits a boy better than the other. He'll remind them of tempo and how the backswing, the tempo of the backswing is so important. And he'll remind them that, hey, you know that when that ball hits the club the right way, the sound changes. He reminds them of all of this. And so with a little tweak here, a little adjustment there, Eventually, we hear that sound, and they both hit the ball really well, and sheer joy comes over them, and then they think, I'm the best in the world, and the next shot is terrible, because that's just golf, right? That's just how it goes, but in that moment, they got it, and why do they trust Ryan? Does Ryan go up to them and say, oh, my word, you are horrible, Haven't I told you a thousand times about your stance? Haven't I told you a thousand times about your tempo? No. Little adjustment here. Little tweak there. Reaffirming here. They trust him. They trust him. And in the same way, God, your heavenly father, does not sit in heaven and look at you And when you mess up, he doesn't sit up there and say, what is your problem? How many times have I told you? Because you got to understand, he's not all justice and no mercy. He's loving. He's gracious. And he sent the Holy Spirit to do a little tweak here, a little adjustment there. Fix the grip there. Hey, remember, remember this. Let's fix that. Let me wrap my arms around you and remind you of that. Let's fix that. He shows us that because he's so loving and so kind. We have to remember that God sees the whole picture. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Can I just be honest? Sometimes things just don't make sense and things that I know that I will not understand this side of heaven. But if you were to imagine the largest piece of land that you can fathom, It goes on from, you literally can't see the end of it. And imagine the tallest fence, longest fence, cutting it right down the middle. And you're on one side, and the whole path and every detail of your life is on the other side. And God sees both sides, but all you have access to is one tiny cutout hole in the fence. We can't see the whole picture. 
but God sees the whole picture. And there is a reason. His word says that he works all things together. And do I have an answer for things that don't go a certain way? Do I have an answer for pain? I don't. But I know that God sees the whole picture and I trust his sovereignty. He's loving, he's gracious, and he wants to lead and to guide you. Ask the worship team to come up. He wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants to counsel your daily lives, not in an aspect of always telling you what you're doing wrong, oh, but to lead you to goodness, to mercy, to joy, to peace, to deeper faith and trust in who he is. He's a wonderful counselor. And maybe today you're sitting there and you're thinking, I've never really looked at God the way that that you're talking about, how Jesus reveals him in all these different ways. Maybe God is opening the doors of your heart to receive him as who he is and revealing that to your heart today. Or maybe you're walking through a difficult time right now where you have so many questions and your go-to is always to try to do it on your own. Can I tell you that you will fail every time? Because without the leading of the Holy Spirit, without God, can you truly ever reach the potential that you're striving for? We have to get to a place of surrender where we say, God, I choose to never walk this life without you. I am making a declaration that I will daily seek the wonderful counselor to lead and to guide me because I know that you promise to work things for my good. I mean, isn't it enough that he sent his son? Isn't it enough that he sent his son to die on a cross for you and to me? He sent his son as a baby just to give us the, um, the ability to relate. He was so human. He felt pain. He felt, he felt suffering. He went through temptation so that he could look at you and he could look at me and he could say, I understand. I'm not untouchable. I'm not unreachable. I understand. So today, I'm challenging you. Reach for the wonderful counselor. Maybe this is a new concept. But maybe, just maybe, God is softening your heart and yielding your heart back to him. He's good at that. He's good at drawing us in. Maybe you've been close to him before. I know in, in my story personally, growing up in a pastor's home, I was exposed to the Lord at all times. And the great thing about my parents is they never forced it on us. It wasn't a forced thing. And it came to a point in my life, and I wasn't even gonna share this. I was so broken. I had, I had walked down a path that I had tried to do everything on my own. And I had seen the turmoil around my life that was revolving around my family. My family was going through a really, really dark time and me being the oldest of four girls, I had to become a parent. There's 15 years between me and the youngest. And not that my parents, understand, not that my parents forced me to become a parent. It was just my parents were so broken. I felt the need to step in. And I tried and I tried and I strived and I strived and I would come up empty. And I fell into different things that brought me deeper and deeper into sin. And when you're in deep in sin, you can't be near the Father. Because of who he is, because of who his character is, sin cannot dwell where he is. And so I felt this divide. Not that he did it, I did it. I made the choice. And I remember a Sunday night at a service, I was so broken, I was so hurting, I was so desperate, I was so lost. And I sat in the front and a song began to play that started talking about all of you is more than enough for me. More than the air I breathe, you're all that I need. All of you is more than enough for me. And it hit me, it was my moment. And I fell to my knees and I told the Lord, I will never, walk this life without you again. 
I will never strive to have my own counsel because I know that you have the answers to what I need. Because he's a wonderful counselor. And in that moment, I'll never forget it. I could take you to the place where my knees hit the ground and the tears from my eyes begin to touch the carpet. In that moment, I felt not rejection, not a condemnation because the word says what? There is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. I did not feel condemnation. I felt love from a father. And it's like he said, hey, let's go. Let's pick up, let's do it again. day and you're walking through life trying to do it on your own, when you have access to the wonderful counselor, let me tell you, not worth it. Not worth it. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Someone needs to hear that today. Let that be a revelation to your heart. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus to reveal that to you. So we're going to sing through this bridge again, which Ryan taking preaching time. He did it too. But I had already planned it. We're going to go through it again. And I want you to take a moment just to reflect. What is God speaking to you today? Is he for the first time revealing to you who God is through this word? Maybe you are sitting there and you've done it. You've tried to do it on your own and you're at your wit's end. And you say, you know what, God? I'm waving the white flag. I surrender. I am surrendering my life to you. I am coming to you broken, unsure of how to do it, but I know you know how. So I'm going to surrender to you. Maybe that's where you are today. We're going to take a moment. We're going to sing this. And I just want you to sit. Maybe maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you bow your head. I don't know what you need to do. But whatever it is you need to do to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to examine your heart, let's do it in this moment. And then we're going to come back and we're going to pray. And I believe, this is what I believe and this is what I've prayed. Things are changing now. Lives are changing now. Hearts are turning now. Because what? The atmosphere changes everything we've created and God has come and there's an atmosphere that's been created today where the Holy Spirit is comfortable. That's something we say in our home all the time. Our house will be a place that's comfortable for the Holy Spirit to dwell. This is a house that's comfortable for the Holy Spirit to dwell. But here's the thing. God will not force you. He's not going to force you to respond because true love is enforced love. So you have to take a step towards it. So now as Chris just begins to sing this, I want you to take a moment and reflect, think on it. What is God speaking to you right now?
that tells us this, we've got work to do. People of God, we have work to do. Now, if you're sitting here right now, you, you have Jesus as your Savior. You live for him. You love him. But you can honestly say that you have been trying and striving on your own. And your heart's desire today is to say, I'm done doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want the wonderful counselor to be in every moment of my every day. And you are willing today to declare to the Lord, God, I place you in the place that you deserve. I put you where you are supposed to be above all. And I pray and you want him to come in and to be your wonderful counselor every day. If that is you right now and you say, I just want to pray that God would come and be that for me. Would you raise your hand? all over the place. Can I tell you that we have all been there? Child of God, we've all been there. And it's a daily thing that we have to remind ourselves. But this is a crucial moment. This is a turning point in many of our hearts today where we're making a declaration. We're taking a stand and we are saying, God, come be the wonderful counselor. God, I'm making room in my heart for you to dwell like you've never dwelt before. I am going to put investment into relationship with you. I'm going to seek you in my daily life. I'm not going to run to my own ability. I'm running to who you are because you are mighty. So many hands went up around this room. I want everybody to stand as we pray. And we're going to sing this again after we pray, just to kind of seal this this moment, this morning. And I don't want you to walk away here different. We come to the house of God to walk out of here changed. If we ever think that we've arrived, we're wrong. We're wrong. So I just believe that we're all walking out of here changed. And we're going to pray and believe that God is going to come in and invade our hearts and be the wonderful counselor like he's never been before because he is able. Come on, he's able. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, oh, how we love you, God. How we adore you. How we thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, we've heard of your goodness this morning. We've heard of your greatness. We've heard of your sacrifice, Lord, and we acknowledge you, Jesus. We acknowledge who you are, and we thank you for your presence, Lord. And God, in this moment, we are taking a stand. We are saying with all of our hearts, minds, and strength, Lord, come be the wonderful counselor. We invite you into our hearts to come and dwell. God, we will not take another step without you. And Lord, I pray that every every heart in this place today would be reminded of that. Every moment of this week, as decisions come forth that have to be made, God, when something comes in front of them, Lord, that they don't know what to do, I pray that their immediate thought would be to run to you as their wonderful counselor. God, I pray you would reveal yourself to them this week like you never have before, that your spirit would begin to dwell in a way that it never has before, Lord. Fresh revelation, God, as they speak, as they study your word, as they pray, Lord, that you would come and dwell in their lives today. And so, Jesus, we surrender it all to you, God, and we thank you for it. Come on, can we worship him and thank him? We thank you, God, our wonderful counselor, our wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.